Thank you for worshiping and joining us in praise this morning. I received an email last week that I'd like to read, and I do so with permission and respond to it if I may. A person writes, if I, I have to say I've started reading Scripture through the lens of the circle of love. It is a game changer for me. I've known about the Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one my whole life, and I've been a believer for almost 30 years. This vibrant idea of a vibrant, passionate fellowship within the Trinity is new to me. It is so exciting. I want to learn more. But at the same time, the messages I caught growing up have me doubting. Can this really be true? Over the past several years, I've been using a sentence that comes from A.W. Tozer that goes like this. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I've said that repeatedly to you, but I've been waiting for the time to bring you to the next level. So let me read the first sentence again and bring you to something different, which invites us to the circle of love. The thing I have said repeatedly is, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. But there is more. How we think about God is our theology. But now listen to this. What we believe God thinks and feels about us is the relationship we share with God. So let me give you a sentence that might just really throw you. If you believe, as per three weeks ago, that you and I, we who are in Christ, have been chosen, adopted, and redeemed, how do you feel about this question? What does God think about you? Listen now, does your life, does your person make God happy? How about this question, like this. Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, do I make you happy? And if you believe in the circle of love, the answer is yes. But let me play with the image of God for just a moment. Here are a few questions that might run through our, our minds if we have a negative or a hostile image of God. Listen to these questions. Does my God image pit God against me? When I think about God, am I afraid of God? Does fear or guilt motivate, motivate how I live in relationship with God and others? Does my God image make me feel as though I'm never good enough? I'm not good the way I was created. Does my image of God fuel self-hatred? Does it affect me and it cause me to have a judgmental spirit toward others? Does it reinforce that God is distant and aloof and far, far away? Does it reinforce for me that God really is not trustworthy? Is your image of God like that? So that questions like that arise? But let me flip it now. If you believe in the circle of love and you believe this God loves with an affirming love, listen to these questions. Does my image of God help me to see the beauty, the beauty of the circle of love? Does my God image, Father, Son, and Spirit, who invite me in, does that instill confidence? Does that offer hope? Does my God image, if it's the circle of love, invite me to loving trust? 
does encourage, encourage me to embrace my full humanity and vulnerability, as well as the ways I'm being sanctified and changed, becoming more like Jesus? Does my image of God inspire me to see God who gives freely without strings attached? Does it reinforce my feeling that I am seen by God? That I am felt by God? That I am known by God? That I'm loved by God? Now listen to this sentence. You see, when we functionally maintain a negative or hostile image of God, God is experienced as untrustworthy, aloof, punitive, withholding, and baffingly mysterious. May I very graciously say that for many of us, that, that, that is our image of God. Well, let's talk about this a bit today, and I'm going to go a little different direction with you, if I may, and I'm going to look at three passages and invite you to follow along with me. The first will be John 13. The second will be Philippians chapter 2. And the third will be John 15. I'll read bits and pieces of each. Now, can I make, Jimmy, I have slide number two, please, and then slide number three. So what I'm trying to do, and I had a wonderful critique from a friend this week came to me, is ask the question, how are we applying this to our lives? How does the circle of love impact us for how we live? So what I tried to put together last week and mentioned it, but didn't do a very good job, so let me reinforce it. To flourish in exile, what we see in Father, Son, and Spirit is what others are to see in us. What does that mean? They're going to see how we live with a mutual submission with God and with other believers. I'm using the word agape because love is so easily misunderstood. It's about love. People should see love in our lives. Remember the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, they should see that in us. We see in the circle of love an empowerment that invites people to go, to flourish, to live as God created them. There are life-giving connections in their courage. This week, I want to focus on two. I want to focus on the first and the last. We flourish in exile as we are about mutual submission and courage. And how I'm describing those two words is in glad surrender. Glad surrender. So, having said that, can I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 13. And we're going to look at that for just a minute, mutual submission. I'm going to read about six or seven verses. I'm going to describe the story later. But I want to talk about mutual submission. Now, before we go there, let me just make one really important comment. Last week, we talked about a joyful intimacy. Please listen to me now. This is very important. If we understand we've been invited into the circle of love, if you believe that you have been called and chosen and adopted and redeemed into the circle of love, in that place, we begin to grow in intimate relationship with the one who loves us most. So last week, we looked at John 15. Remain in me. Abide in me. Let me make my home in you. And Jesus says, you make your home in me. And if we make our home in Jesus, we make our home in the circle of love. Now, that's important because now we go to mutual submission. I want you to observe what happens in John chapter 13 as Jesus does something so interesting about 12 to 18 hours before he's killed. John chapter 13. Please hear these words from the Lord. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. You notice that? He knew it was time to leave 
and go to his father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now look at the next three verses. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. There's a relationship of the Father and Son. And they had come from God. He comes from the circle of love and was returning to the circle of love. So what happens? He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped all about him. Now, let me just stop for just a second. I've said this multiple times in years past. One more time. It was unheard of. It was unheard of that a rabbi would wash his disciples' feet. Let me take it one step further. No Jewish person was ever to wash another Jewish person's feet. It was a task of a slave. So I want you to think about the words mutual submission. Imagine these hands are Jesus' hands. The one who holds the worlds in his hand takes off his outer clothing, gets down on his knees, and with the same hands washes the dirtiest part of people's bodies. Can you imagine the shock waves in that room? Remember, now if you read some of the other gospel accounts, they've just been fighting over who's the greatest in the kingdom. And what does Jesus do? He humiliates himself by undressing. Humiliates himself by getting on his knees. And he submits to the 12, including the one who will betray him to death and the others who will run, and he washes their feet. Now, let me talk about submission for just a moment. I got four sentences. Self-giving love, submissive love, is the Trinity's signature. That comes from the first century. Forty years after Jesus died and rose, that sentence was spoken of by the earliest church. Each divine person, Father, Son, and Spirit, is always denying himself for the sake of others and deferring to the other. Now, let me stop. Our friend said to me, what does this, how do we apply this? Do you hear what I just said? Each divine person is always denying himself for the sake of others and deferring to the other. Self-giving and mutual submission define the Trinity, not only in their creating and redeeming the world, but also from all eternity. Father, Son, and Spirit empty themselves into each other and each receives the other's fullness. What does, what does it mean to flourish in exile? It is to be a people known by a glad surrender which is marked by a submission. Now, let me stop quick, quickly. When I use the word submission, I am not talking about abuse. I'm, and, and there is never, ever, ever place for abuse. Sexual, physical, verbal. Those should never be used to describe us, ever. But a mutual submission you see in Father, Son, and Spirit, one and three, three and one, is an incredible deference. In the second century, one of the ancient fathers wrote this, and this is in quotation marks, when one of the Trinity weeps, the other two taste salt. 
That's how mutually submissive and intimate they are with each other. What does that look like? So would you hold your finger here? Would you turn over to Philippians chapter 2? So you have John, Acts, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. I want you to observe in chapter 2, and if you read it all later on, verses 1 through 11, you're going to see the Father, Son, and Spirit. But look at the first few verses. I want, to see, I want you to see what mutual submission looks like. So St. Paul writes chapter 2, verse 1, Philippians 2, verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, there's, there's the Son, Jesus. If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, Son, Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Like who? The Father and the Son with each other. Having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Now look at the next phrase. This is how the Holy Spirit and the Son and the Father relate. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Mutual submission. Now look how far it goes. In your relationship with one another, this is how you flourish in exile. This is what mutual submission looks like. Have the same mindset as Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, means stolen, taken advantage of. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself in becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what you see in John 13 is the epitome of chapter Philippians 2, 1 through 11. That's called the kenosis passage. It's the emptying passage. Now, this is the, you get, stay with me. If we are to flourish in exile, who Father, Son, and Spirit, one and three, three and one, who they are together is who we are to be. So last week we talked about a joyful intimacy. We're remaining, we're abiding, we're in them, they're in us, we're in this relationship. Out of that comes a mutual submission. I'm gonna push now. This is very, very difficult. But let me cast a vision for you. So someday... When Jesus returns, what will each of us experience with every person in the new heaven and new earth? Listen. Joyful intimacy. Let me push. The intimacy that a husband and wife share physically and sexually cannot compare with the joyful intimacy you will have with all in the new heaven and new earth. And what will we see in the new heaven and earth? There will be a glad surrender. There'll be the attitude, the actions of Jesus living among us, and that'll be part of our experience forever. So watch now. Today, May 3, 2020, you have the opportunity to be part of the circle of love and in that circle of love, you are invited to be like Father, Son, and Spirit and be part of a submissive community. What have we said over and over? The world will know we are Christians by our love. 
And what do we see in John 13? Jesus disrobes, humiliates himself, loves tenderly, and washes dirty feet. And what do you see later in passage? Do you understand what I have done for you? The passage ends. You will be blessed if you do it. The circle of love invites us to be a people who choose to enter that place of love with each other and submit. Now, let, let, me, let me just, just be honest. If I was going to choose all five things, which I'm going to talk about all these weeks, the one that is most significant in terms of how we live with each other is this ideal of mutual submission. May I push? Would you look at your workplace this week? Did you submit to those in authority over you? Did you submit to your teammates, those who are closest to you? Did you submit to people with whom you're connecting on Facebook or with texting or snap, however you communicated? What was the posture with which you lived? Was it to be as submissive? Listen now, submissive is not doormat. Jesus was no doormat. Jesus was absolutely in control of himself and mindful of the intimate relationship he shared with the Father and the Spirit. This is why last week we talked about joyful intimacy. It is imperative that we abide in Christ, remain in Christ, dwell in Christ, and he in us. Why? So that his life is lived in us, and then his attitudes and his lifestyle is lived through us. So, to be glad surrendering people, we have to be submissive. But I want to go to a second word, and that word is courage. And so if you go over to chapter 15, John chapter 15, and I want to talk about why courage is needed. If we're going to be people who are mutually submissive, let's look at the context in which we live. John chapter 15, I'm going to read from 18 into a little bit into chapter 16. Chapter 15, verse 18. Listen for the word hate. The world hates the disciples. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first, said Jesus. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. Why? Because I've chosen you out of the world into the circle of love. That is why the world hates you. Are you following him? When you're invited into the circle, of the circle of love, the world will hate you. Let's talk about the word world. The Greek word is cosmos, K-O-S-M-O-S. And the, the world is the systems around which life is organized, around which foundational things are established. St. Paul writes what? We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And many scholars think there are multiple levels of demonic power. The world is controlled by that which is evil. Jesus said, the world is controlled by the evil one. But don't be afraid, he says, and we'll talk about that later, I've overcome the cosmos. So he's talking about the world, the system. Powers of darkness hate you when you enter the circle of love. Verse 20, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus said, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. 
They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Who is that? The Father and the Spirit. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would, be not, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Look at the next phrase. Whoever hates me, says Jesus, hates my Father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they've hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what was written in their law. They hated me without reason. And now... St. John inserts the presence of the Holy Spirit. Look, look what he says. When the advocate comes, the one who, who fights for us, who speaks for us, who defends us, whom I will send to you from the Father. Do you notice that? Jesus sends the Spirit from the Father, the circle of love, Father, Son, Spirit, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father. He will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. All this I told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time will come when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have not told you this so that when their time comes, you'll remember I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him, the one who sent me. So why do I talk about courage? Okay, we're going to talk about courage because we live in a world, cosmos, that is driven by power, power, greed, hatred, all those things. You will need courage to be submissive. Now let me just stop for a second. I'm gonna point you to head in just a two, about three or four minutes. In a couple minutes, I'm gonna invite Chrissy to come up and sit here and begin to respond. And I'd like to invite you to think about two questions. I'll go back to courage in just a moment. Two questions. These are the questions I wonder if you would think about texting, interacting with Chrissy, and then she with me, and us together. So I'm talking about glad surrender today, the words submission and courage. And these are the questions I'd like you to interact with Chrissy and with me, and then all of us together about. So what enables you to choose a glad surrender? And the second question, what inhibits a glad surrender in your life? What inhibits you from submitting out of reverence for Christ? So what enables you to choose a glad surrender? What enables you, what inhibits a glad surrender? Now can I go back to uh, uh, that same slide, Jim, four, number four? So if you look at this again, what we wanna see, are you gonna leave them up, okay. Let me, uh, let me go a different direction. Thank you, Jim. Let, let me really quickly give you three bullets, and then we're going to move to these questions. Listen to these things now. Here we go. Thank you, Jim. A glad surrender flows out of love. This is really, really imperative. So last week I talked about the idea of the intimacy, a joyful intimacy. Surrender comes out of a place of being loved. And that's why last week I said to you, if you look at joyful intimacy, and you remember we began with Jesus' uh, baptism, what four words did I use to describe the passage from Mark 1? Intimacy, identity, belonging, and purpose. Out of that place of love, Jesus submitted. We have a glad surrender that comes out of the place that we are loved. And this is one of the concerns I have, and I've been saying this repeatedly to us over these past several years, 
It is the voices in the culture, the world that hates you, the, the, the system that hates those who are in Christ, requires an incredible courage to live in, but it has to be foundationally built on love. You are loved. And we have memories that are so difficult. We have experiences that negate that. We have voices of accusation that come against us. A glad surrender, a willingness to submit flows out of love. You are loved. I want to suggest that a glad surrender is both a crisis and a process. Crisis and process. Let me explain that to you. Let me start with a, a wedding ceremony. In a traditional service, a man and woman stand in front of a congregation. And after they say a few introductory comments, they go like this. I'll use myself with Lane. I, Kevin, take you, Lane, to be my wife. Listen to these next phrases. To have and to hold from this day forward. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. To love and to cherish until death parts us. Those words create a crisis. The couple standing in front of the church has no idea what they're committing themselves to. They're committing themselves, those words say, those words imply surrender, submission, one to the other. I'm going to give myself to you. And so the first, the crisis is, will I choose to enter into a submissive relationship with God and others? And that's dependent on, do I come out of a circle of love? If I understand I'm ever living in the circle of love, you cannot be separated from the circle of love. Then when I face the questions of submission, the crisis moves from, no, I made the decision already that I will choose to submit. And I'm going to pray for the courage in the midst of an oppressive system that absolutely diminishes submission. I'm going to choose to submit and then there's a process, a process. So what does it mean to have and to hold, to love and to cherish, till death depart? And every step of a married relationship, the couple has to figure out, okay, how will we submit to each other? How will we do this? The crisis is, will I submit? And the process is, how will I submit over and over and over and over? And then let me say this. A glad surrender is essential if the circle of love is to be experienced and shared. Let me push. It is my opinion, I think I can argue this pretty well from Scripture and from experience, that those who choose, feel called, are courageous, living out of a place of love, who choose to submit to others, they experience the circle of love. They can't be separated. The same one who wrote the Gospel of John wrote the epistles of John. And this is what John wrote on the Isle of Patmos. If you say you love God, but you don't love your brother or sister, those other people in Christ, I'm quoting the scriptures. St. John writes, you are a liar, and the truth is not in you. They see there's something about living in the circle of love and understanding I am called, adopted, embraced, blessed, part of this circle. It can't be taken from me in this life life to come. Then I can live out of that place for others. Chrissy, do you have anything for me? Do you have anything come back yet from people? 
Um, we haven't had any responses yet. So like Kevin said, if you could just write in in the chat of the two different questions that he asked, what, able, what enables you to choose glad surrender as well and what inhibits a glad surrender in your life. I have been thinking a lot about that and what it, I was thinking about with what enables you is exactly what you talked about. It's that love piece. It's that um, when I know that I'm fully in the circle of love, when I know my identity, that's when glad surrender becomes something that can be second nature. It overflows out of being in the, in the circle of love. And so that is what I was just thinking a lot about as you talked mm -hmm. about the, mm -hmm. the glad surrender, what it enables. Thank you, Chrissy. Mm -hmm. So go back to the courage and the surrender idea. There, there are some ways we have to be so connected with Jesus, the, the, the triune God, the glad intimacy, that we're so connected that we are courageous enough to fight us an oppressive system. So let me just, let me take COVID-19, and this is my opinion for what it's worth, which is very little. But my observation is, if you're on any kind of social media about COVID-19, it is an immense tidal wave of fear being unleashed on the earth. Just unbelievable amount of fear being released. How in the world do we counteract that much fear coming at us at that level unless we live out of a place of surrender? where we're surrendering ourselves to the Lord and to each other. So, may I start answering the question, Chrissy? Is that okay? Just my response. Do you have something for yeah, me? Yeah, I've got a couple of more. Okay, whenever. please. Would you yeah. please? So, um, and when he looks at inhibiting, we've got uh, trust in the... Uh, Trust in the Trinity is enabling. Um, sorry, excuse me. And he know, we know that he is good and can trust him in all things. Um, and then I've got a couple of what inhibits glad surrender. And then those are a couple of people have written in about that being pride. Um, when I, I have to set aside my pride and be willing to be humbled and surrender. Another person said busyness, apathy, weariness. Um, those are just a few of the insecurity that's yes, beautiful, beautiful. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's hold glad surrender for a minute and let's go back to intimacy. Do you see what Chrissy's, Chrissy's personal comment was when she knows she's in this intimate place of love, then surrender is something that's very possible. And so one of the challenges will be was how is it you are formed into the Trinity? How is it you remain, abide in Christ? And so we know the word, the scriptures say, let the words remain in you. Somehow we have to... We, the, the, the triune God has to be a bigger part of our lives than whatever's coming at us from the outside. The development of the inner woman or man is so important because that's the place from which we live. Chrissy, something else? Uh, yes. Um, in the enabling question, we've got more about um, a scripture came to mind for a certain person that said, the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, and that we get to share in joy with Christ. Um, and then another person wrote in that glad surrender opens one up to vulnerability to be hurt by other people at times. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful. So let's go courage and then being hurt. So the reality is when we choose to submit to another out of reverence for Christ, we will be hurt. I mean, Jesus was hurt by the 12 people whose feet he washed. Drill that down. These are people he spent three years with, not once a week for an hour. This is three weeks every day, three years every day through that whole period. At the end of that period, and he has multiple times now, at least three, talked about what is coming. 12 to 18 hours before he is killed, he is submitting surrendering to the very people who will betray him, deny him, and run for him. 
So that's a great comment. We have to expect that we will be hurt when we submit. But we are choosing, by the grace of God, to be a courageous people. Why are we courageous? Because we live in the circle of love. Our identity is formed. Our intimate relationships are formed out of this place with, with our triune God. Chrissy, something else? I love this one. So um, it says, in a world where so many things seem uncertain, we have a, a circle of love that is con consistent, available, and everlasting in which we have confidence. So he's saying that's what enables the glad surrender. And then the same person who mentioned the vulnerability piece also said, but even in being wounded by others, we hold confidence that God heals us, renews us, and can work greatly in those who are living out of their woundedness. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you. Wait, great. Keep, keep giving comments. These are fantastic. The, the challenge, the opportunity, this is an opportunity. To be a people of glad surrender is an incredible opportunity to represent Christ. You notice that Jesus said, do you understand what I've done for you? If I, your master and teacher, have done this, Jesus said, you too. Now later on, he's going to change from master and teacher. Well, he says, I no longer call you that. I'm going to call you friends. I call you my friends. So he's saying to his friends, who, remember now, Ephesians 1, have been chosen, adopted, and redeemed. I want you to live in this intimate place with me last week so that out of the intimate place you can live a surrendered life recognizing you will be hurt but the kingdom will be expressed and the kingdom will come and you fight the courageous battle with eyes fixed on Jesus and the kingdom is expressed in beautiful ways. That's what people want to see. They want to see surrendered lives. Christy, any more? Yeah, just a few more. Um, it says, surrender seems to be uh, intimately linked to trust. I don't trust, when I don't trust, surrender is much more challenging. And then um, another one that says, I believe that there is a reciprocal relationship between our willingness and ability to receive and experience love and our ability to experience joyful intimacy and glad surrender. Amen, that's beautiful. And then just a few more attached to um, when we're standing in our identity, that's what enables us. When we're standing outside of that identity, that's what inhibits yep. us. Fantastic. Let me do one more comment, and then I'm going to finish with action steps. So, um, so I, want, I need a bring on Bell of Mercy right here. If, if, our, if our trinity is three-headed monster, in quotation marks, we have a father who's up there somewhere, aloof, over here we have Jesus who was among us, died, rose, and now he's on the throne, but he's gone too. And we don't have a, a, a vibrant, robust theology of the Holy Spirit. W what's our image of God? Well, for many of us, and I don't mean this in all a yucky way, but all of us in some ways have been influenced by our parents. So if the image of God is father, or for some of us God is mother, because both images are in Scripture, the image of our parents has such an impact on how we understand our God. But do you see how different the circle of love is, if that's understood? There is this one and three, three and one, absolutely all, listen, listen, always happy, always joyful, always submissive, always loving. And when we transition from this life to the next, we are tasting now what we will experience forever. One more, Chrissy, any more comments? Um, yes, this one. I love this one, too. I would agree with the identity piece. When I mistrust God's love and intentions towards me, I live out of a protective false identity, which inhibits both gladness and surrender. 
And there's another one that says, the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. The more I learn and know about Father, Son, and Spirit, the more I am enabled to choose into surrender and love. That's beautiful, beautiful. Congregation, well done, thank you. Chrissy, thank you. Let me try to tie this together, slide seven. So this is our action steps for this week. If you, if you consider these two things, would you keep reading John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17? Because you see the Father, Son, and Spirit all the way through here. The circle of love is just found all through this. So keep being mindful of that. Now go back to slide number two real quick, Jim. Think about, think about what we're trying to poke at. What we're asking you to consider is to flourish in exile. What, other, what we see in the Trinity is what should be seen in us. So what we want to be poking at throughout the series is a mutual submission. The way we submit to another, each other. There is a, a sense of love to will to serve the good of the other. There's an empowerment, releasing others to do what they've been called to do, blessing what they do, honoring it. There's this way to be life-giving connections that are rich and full and beautiful. When we see the best and we just name it and we celebrate it. And then courage. Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. If they hated you and they hate me, they'll hate the Father. There is that we live in a system, a world, a cosmos that is opposed to this circle of love. And that's our invitation. Back to slide seven, then the last question, action step. Could you ask the Holy Spirit this week where and with whom you're invited to engage in a glad surrender this week? Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we're mindful, we're so mindful that you, you're longing to invite us to live out of this beautiful, this wonderful, this amazing circle of love. So we ask and pray that you might set our hearts on fire, that with hearts ablaze for you, hearts longing for more intimacy with you, hearts of fire willing to submit to each other because we are so mindful of you that we would be a different people. We'd be a people who flourish will be a people who bring such beauty to our world in the midst of COVID that people would be sensing, longing for, seeking your kingdom, your will, and your way. So Lord, we pray together that you would set our hearts on fire. May who we are, what we say, and what we do reflect a glad surrender. And may that surrender bring glory and honor and praise to the one who invites us to a circle of love. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.